Thank you. You can find a seat. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. As you find a seat, today we're continuing in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Seven. How many of you guys know who this guy is? Right here. Who, who is this? Don't say his name. You know the name of the actor, right? His, the character he plays, I think, is Fletcher Reed. And the name of the movie is what? Liar, Liar. Have you guys? From 1997, Jim Carrey played Fletcher Reed in Liar, Liar. was. He was a lawyer who, he was a compulsive liar, right? He lied about everything. He never kept any of his commitments. And, and he, he just, he lied all the time. And then he was cursed to go through a 24-hour period in his life where he could only tell the truth. Like, he had to tell the truth about every single thing that happened, every conversation. He could only say the truth. Now, I have to admit, I've only seen clips of it. I haven't watched the movie. I read the plot. So I can't say, is it like a clean movie to watch? But the whole concept is, to me, is, is, is fascinating. So today, as, as we saw here, the topic is truth-telling. As we move through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is trying to make us different than the world. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to stand out against the darkness of the world. He wants to be disciples of nonconformists. He wants us to be truth-tellers, not liar-liar, like Jim Carrey. Well, the survey says out of 1,000 American participants, 59.9% claim not to have told a single lie within the past 24 hours. Of those who admitted they did lie, most say they told very few lies. Participants reported 1,646 lies in total, but half of them came from just 5.3% of the participants. What does that tell you? <laughs> you had 5.3% that were actually honest about their responses on the survey. So, you know, we're more prone to lying than you would think. And I thought this video clip Hey, smart was people. Helpful. Joe here. So there's this famous experiment on lying. A behavioral economist named Dan Ariely gave groups of people a set of math problems. You're supposed to find the two numbers that add up to 10. Now, pretty much everyone can solve these if they're given enough time. But in the experiment, you're only given five minutes to do a whole bunch of them. And you get a dollar for each one that you got right. When the five minutes are up, stop, count how many questions you got correct, then put your paper in a shredder. Just tell the tester how many you got right and collect your money. Except the papers weren't really shredded so that researchers could tell who lied and around seven in 10 people cheat in this scenario. On average, people said that they solved six problems, but they only actually solved four. What's interesting is people didn't lie as big as they could lie. They made a calculated lie, big enough to get some extra moolah, but not big enough to raise suspicion, they thought. These were normal people, just like you and me. Just about everyone is willing to tell a little lie like this in return for a reward. If you think that we could separate people into those who lie and those who don't, or if you think that lying is abnormal and unacceptable, well, that's incorrect. 
everyone lies. Like, you're on the internet, you know that people lie all the time. But take an honest look at yourself. Have you lied today? I mean, ever say, I know, we should totally catch up. Oh, oh yeah, bro, script's almost done. Sorry, two more lines. Oh, weird, uh, must have gone in my spam folder. Oh yeah, I, I love flashing, every day. Uh-huh, I mean, what's your dating profile say? Ever drive a little faster than the speed limit? I mean, last time someone asked you how you're doing, did you tell them the whole truth? Oh, great. And these are just little lies. The world is full of larger lies and more sinister liars. Lies that can do real harm. I mean, most of us consider ourselves pretty good, generally truthful people. So why do we do this? I mean, if we're supposed to be the most intelligent species on Earth, the most socially complex organism that we know of in the universe, why are we just incapable of telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Right. So most everything he said in that video was, was pretty accurate, right? Um, he, he got to a point where he said that maybe lying isn't wrong. All right, we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. But you get the point that he was making there. Our tendency, is our tendency naturally towards truth-telling? No, unfortunately, it's towards lying. So what is a lie? When we talk about what a lie is, this is the Merriam-Webster uh, definition, to make an untrue statement with intent to deceive or to create a false or misleading impression. Now, there's an atheist named Sam Harris, and he has a book on lying. And it's actually, it's, it's a short book. Um, and so he's writing, he's a neuroscientist, and Sam Harris is writing from the perspective of how we as human beings have evolved and how our brains function as those who have evolved, and how our brains function in, in special ways. Like, why is it that those, we're, oh, those of us who have evolved, <laughs> that would be us, hopefully, um, if you believe in that, why do we tell lies? And are lies okay? Right, so he's, he gives this definition, Sam Harris does. He says, to lie is to intentionally mislead others when they expect honest communication. Right? When you have a communication with somebody, you expect truth. You expect facts, right? Because truth is that which corresponds to reality. And we have to function with reality. Sam Harris also says, but it is in believing one thing while intending to communicate another that every lie is born. Now, a Christian commentator, he's actually a Christian counselist, Lou Priola, he defines lying like this. He says, to lie is deliberately, is deliberately communicating to another person something that one does not believe to be true. Like, you know it's not true. You don't believe that it's true, but you're telling them that it's true anyway. Intentionally expressing something outwardly that contradicts that which you, be true, uh, which you judge to be true inwardly. A little more extensive definition of what it means to be a lie. Like, you know it's not, not true, yet you communicate it anyway. We might be thinking, well, you know, not all lies are bad, right? There's different kinds of lies. Some lies are okay lies. Some lies are not okay lies. Some lies are really bad lies. Some lies are, as the, the guy in the, the video says, they're, they are sinister lies. Really, there's, broadly speaking, look at the concept of lying. There's really two categories. There's falsification, which would be changing facts of the matter, or concealing omitting essential facts, right? So you, you change the facts, or you just, I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm just, I, I didn't 
change the facts. I just didn't give you all the facts, right? You're concealing some. So as we look at biblically the Bible and try to understand how lying is portrayed in the Bible, I'm giving you some categories. I'm not giving you all the categories probably, but here's some broad categories, right? So there's the outright lie, right? You're just totally changing the facts, right? So I'm going to give you some Bible references here, but I'm not going to go to the passages there and and read them for you. But in Genesis chapter 3, most of you who understand the Bible know that this is when the serpent appears to Eve, and and, and the serpent functions by lying about what God says. This is an outright lie. Well, then there's also the concealment, right? In the same passage, the serpent really says, hey, surely you won't die if you eat the fruit from that tree. Well, they didn't physically die, did they? But spiritually they died, right? So it's kind of concealing the truth of the matter, how devastating it would be to eat eat that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, then as you move forward in the Bible, just one chapter, you get to the story of Cain and Abel, and there's the I don't know lie, right? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Okay, this is kind of like the outcome of the lie. So that was really in the category of falsification and then concealment together. I don't know. He knows. He's on the ground someplace in a bloody pool and then not telling everything that he knows. So you have the concealment, or you have the I don't know lie. Here's one that's very popular today. It's the making commitments with no in, intention of keeping them lie. Right? This happens all the time. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll be there. And, and, and maybe with no intention of keeping them is, is kind of harsh, but it's, if I can make it happen, right? You're thinking that, but what you're telling the person outwardly is, here's the fact, I'll, I'll be there, right? And Proverbs addresses this, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Right, so there's a commitment there. I'm going to bring you this. I'll bring you that. I'll provide this. I'll provide that. The, the, the word picture here is, is a cloud that's bringing much-needed rain, but the cloud gets there and it never delivers any rain. And so keeping commitments or keeping our words are, are very important. Uh, it's, it's something that we count on. And, and really, it's what God looks for in those who be in his presence in heaven. We'll talk about this at the end. In Psalm 15, the psalmist is saying, who can dwell on your holy mountain, on your holy hill? Who can be in your tent? I, who, who can be in heaven with you, God? Well, those who, when they keep an oath, they keep it. When they make an oath, they keep the oath, even when it hurts. They don't change their mind. So it's the making commitments, really with no intention of keeping it or keeping it if you can, if it's convenient for you to keep it. Well, then there's the slander or talebearer. Talebearer is, is a gossip. It's, you know, gossip and slander. I'm not going to go through the different categories. We've done that before, right? But when somebody is is gossiping, many times, maybe part of the truth, but not all the truth, right? And we love hearing that. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels; they go down to the inmost parts. And there's exaggeration, right? You're just embellishing. Right, you're, you're saying more than really what is to be true. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right, in the early church. Ananias brought an offering to the apostles. And when he brought it, hey, this is all the money that we made off of selling this piece of property. Oh, really great. But you just lied to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, were the consequences mild there? No. Uh, the, the, the Lord required his life that night, and it's the firelight again. And then she was taken as well. So God takes lying seriously. Well, then there's the partial truth, right? The concealment. Abraham, as he's dealing with Abimelech, and Abraham's afraid of what's going to happen to him because Sarah's so beautiful, and if they find out that Abraham's married to her, they're going to kill him so they can have Sarah. And so he says this, right? I told you the truth, but it really wasn't all the truth. She's my sister, the daughter of my father, the not of my mother, and she became my wife, right? So he was twisting the facts a little bit to try to spare himself, to try to save himself. Well, then there's flattery, right? And we all engage in this, don't we? Sometimes it's we're trying to be nice. We don't realize the damage that we can be doing, right? Those who flatter, those who embellish, those who add more than's really there, you know, they're falsification of the facts, concealing. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Well, here's the one we really struggle with is the, is the white lies. The not so bad lies. Come on, these are good lies, right? The concept of a white lie is that white is supposed to stand for purity, so it's a pure lie because really you're trying to protect that person information that could be damaging to you. You're creating a Okay, that's, it's not real. <laughs> it's not reality. It's, it's a lie. And so white lies. And so you're familiar with those. Oh, hit the wrong one. This is just a uh, sample. You may not be able to read what's up there. Let's see if I can read these for you. Um, I was just about to call you. Sorry I'm late. The traffic was terrible. Oh, you look just great. This is delicious. I completely agree with you. Your secret is safe with me. Right? These, these white lies, these small lies that we think don't really matter. But what happens with white lies? I mean, realistically, what you, you do is you enable a person to create a false reality, and they can't function in that false reality, you know, and, and it's harmful to them. And when they find out, it begins to erode at your relationship because they don't really trust you to say the truth. So as we consider the world that we live in, consider the damage that lying does. By lying, we deny our friends access to reality. And the resulting ignorance often harms them in ways we did not anticipate. Our friends may act on our falsehoods or may fail to solve problems that could have been solved only on the basis of good information. That's a true statement made by an atheist, isn't it? So the point this week, as we look at the text, we haven't got to the text yet, the point this week is, in a world full of liars and lies, tell the truth. Be different than the world. Tell the truth. So here's the passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So again, in a world full of liars and lies, tell the truth. 
So as we look through the Sermon on the Mount recently, and Jesus is trying to clarify the confusion that's going on, and the confusion here is all the oath-taking that the spiritual leaders were engaged in so that they could get their way, this elaborate scheme that they had created. So we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Right? Well, so, so this was said long ago, so it must have been said somewhere in the Bible, right? Again, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, had this oral tradition based on the written word of God, but it went beyond the word of God, and they had this elaborate system okay, of quote-unquote spirituality that many times they used to their advantage. So where in the Bible would you get a statement like this? Well, it could come from any number of places. Deuteronomy 6.13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. So I'll clarify this right away because I may not come back to it later. It's not wrong for Christians to take an oath. If you're going to court to take an oath on the Bible, there are some uh, sects, some, some religious groups that refuse to do that. If you look throughout the Bible, you will find in many places where people were encouraged to make an oath. Okay? So, so Jesus isn't forbidding all oath-taking here. He's, for, he's forbidding the attitude behind which the oath is being made and the, and the fact that people fail to keep their oaths. Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Right, he's like, so what he's saying here is if, if you make a vow, keep it. That's, that's that simple. This is where Jesus is getting it from. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you don't make a vow, that's fine. But when you say you're going to do something, do it. Numbers 30. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything that he has said. And lastly, Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so this really leads us into the craziness correction that Jesus is going to get here, get to here. Look at the text again. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. So the spiritual leaders were trying to manipulate the system and use their words to get what they wanted, so they weren't using the name of God. They were using the, other na the names of other sacred objects, structures, places, they were using other things besides the name of God, and they were making a vow. And because they didn't make a vow in the Lord's name, then they were free to break it, right? If you don't make a vow in my name, it's, it's, it's fine. Just whatever you do, though, keep your word. And so Jesus has this craziness correction because the spiritual leaders had an oath-taking scheme going on, basically. You can get what you want just by using the right words and making the right they Using one of God's names then it was binding, and if they didn't keep it, then technically they hadn't perjured themselves. You understand what I'm saying? As long as they didn't use one of the sacred names of God, they were good. But if they made an oath on something that everybody considered to be sacred, then they could say, this is binding, but then they weren't guilty before God. They hadn't perjured themselves. And again, to perjure means this. Perjury is the voluntary violation of an oath or vow either by swearing to what is untrue or by a mission to do what has been promised under oath. 
It's false swearing. That's the dictionary definition of perjury. All I did was right-click on it, and this is the definition that came up. So Jesus says, don't get into this elaborate oath-taking scheme, all this phony baloney, good times and rock and roll, so that you can get what you want. No, he says this, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Because here's the fact. Yeah, it's heaven. God created heaven. So if you're swearing by heaven, really you're swearing by God because God created heaven or the earth. He created the earth. He created Jerusalem. It's the great city of God. He's the king. Oh, and don't swear by a hair on your head because guess what? God created every single hair on your head. And you can't change that, but God can. You're swearing by that. You're not getting around what you think that you're getting around. So, so what does Jesus do? He, he has a common sense correction. We'll see that in just a minute. He, didn't, he thought very poorly of the Pharisees in light of the fact that they had this oath-taking scheme going on. Again, we looked at Matthew chapter 23 before when Jesus starts addressing the Pharisees and he's calling them hypocrites. And he says, woe to you, Blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it. And the one who dwells in it. So he's saying, he's basically, he's like his, his tongue in cheek and he's like, he's making fun of them. You guys are such idiots. Just keep your word, he says. Anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits in it. You guys are hypocrites. You're schemers. You're liars. So he gives this common sense command. And what is it? All you simply need to say is yes. Or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus, uh, James, Jesus' brother, he got this, right? He understood this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, as Jesus says, it will be condemned. So Jesus is saying, the world full of lies and lies, tell the truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. The problem is we all lie. We all lie. I'm not saying we're liars all the time. I'm not saying that. But what is the urge that we have to fight? The urge we have to fight is those moments when the pressure is confronted by something, when life gets difficult and you're trying to find a way out. The temptation isn't to do what's right, necessarily. The temptation is to shade the truth. Tell white lies. You, me, us, we all do that. But why do we lie? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, some people would say it's altruism. Whenever I lie, I do it for the common good. I wouldn't lie if I wasn't trying to help people out. Right? I lie for the good of those around me, those white lies. Right? They did a survey, right? And these are the answers that came up, right? It's kind of like uh, Family Feud, right? All these people were polled. This is what came up. Secrecy. I'm sworn to secrecy, so I can't give up the information. 
image preservation, right? You don't want someone to think differently of you than you want people to think of you. You're protecting your ego. If I tell the truth, what are they going to think about me? So we lie. Pretty common sense one. You learn this one at early age, right? To avoid punishment. Did you get Oreos out of the jar? As you have chocolate in your teeth. No, I didn't do it. Right? It wasn't me. Trying to avoid negative consequences. Or positively, you're trying to gain something. You start shading numbers at work. You pad the books a little bit. Some people are actually psychopaths and they're, they're compulsive liars. Kind of like Fletcher Reed is in Liar Liar. He just can't help himself. He's, he's lied so much he doesn't know what real is. And What an exhausting life, right? What a tangle web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Right? If you lie a lot, you have to remember what you said so that you don't get caught in your lie. And then there's the real sick people who have lied for pleasure. Let me see if I can put one over on this guy. He's, he's such a fool. He's gonna, he believes anything. He's a sucker for pleasure. Sam Harris, this atheist who has this insight into lying, says this, we often behave in ways that are guaranteed to make us happy. That's what we want. We want to stay happy, so we lie to stay happy. Many of us spend our lives marching with eyes open, with open eyes toward remorse, regret, guilt, and disappointment. And nowhere do our injuries seem more uh, casually self-inflicted or the suffering we create more disproportionate to the needs of the moment than in the lies we tell to other human beings. Lying is the royal road to chaos. So, why do we lie? I gave you some reasons, but what's the real reason we lie? It goes back to the beginning, right? The devil in the garden, Adam and Eve. It's the nature of evil. Who's the father of lies? Jesus talks about this in John chapter 8, when again, he's addressing, addressing the Pharisees and their understanding of who they are as Abraham's children. And he says this, he says, you belong to your father. This is so, you understand that. He's telling the Pharisees they belong to the devil. Now, how would you take this? You belong to the devil. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Adam and Eve. You'll not die. You're not going to die. He murdered them spiritually. Not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Why do we lie? We come by it naturally. But I'm born again. I've trusted in Christ for my salvation. I have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth living within me. Well, doesn't that say something about the power of the flesh? That we have to fight the urge to lie. Well, we can't just blame it on Satan. Because they already alluded to what the real issue is. The real issue is what? Is our heart. This, this, is, this is something, I'll be honest with you, as somebody who studies the Bible a little bit, or read theologians, okay, so I've been given a new heart. Yeah, I have a new heart. Well, the heart is the center of your desires. You've been given you know, the, the part of you that desires 
has been born again. It's been given this, it's been awakened to God. It's been awakened to the truth. It's been awakened to the spirit of the truth. And therefore you can choose truth. But our heart is still affected by sin. And so the heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things. Beyond cure. Who can understand it? Have you ever asked yourself, why did I just lie? Why did I just do that? I remember one time I was working in the nursing home, and there was this guy in a power wheelchair, and he used to always ask me for stuff. And I used to get, you know, it's like, okay, I want to help this guy out, right? I'm trying to be like Jesus. But it's really annoying being like Jesus sometimes because you keep asking me things, you know. And, and he had asked me to do something for me, and I come out the office door, and he's, he's zooming up the hallway in his power chair. He comes up to me, and of course, what did he ask? Did, did you get that? Oh, yeah, I got it for you. It's, and I was immediately, I was just like, because I hadn't gotten it for him. I was like, cut to the core, right? And I went back and in my office after that, and I sat down. I was so like, that was, it came. What, I think what hurt me the most was I didn't even think about it. It just shot right out of my mouth. I lied to him right away. Because I was trying to spare, you know, he had this image of me, you know, I want him to think well of me. And it was just, it just came right out. It's my heart. But you know, we don't fool God. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Oh, by the way, I went back and I did, I confessed to him. I said, look, man, I lied to you, bro. I, I lied to you. Please forgive me. You know what? He was so gracious. No, I get it, man. I ask you for a lot of stuff. <laughs> I get it totally. He was so nice. And that made me feel even worse. <laughs> I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. I reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You know, we've, we've all told lies. Do you want to be rewarded according to what your deeds deserve? Let's shoot straight. I, I don't want to be rewarded for all the lies I've told. And thank God, through Jesus Christ, you don't have to be. Christ was punished for every lie you ever told. He's been punished so that you don't have to receive the reward that you deserve. So we lie because our hearts are deceitful. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to minimize lying, right? When you look at the scale, the scheme of sins, like all the sins that you commit, right? You know, and the biggies are like, Murder and adultery and creating an idol and worshiping it and those kinds of things. Those are the biggies, right? You know, number nine, come on, there's ten commandments. Number nine, line's way down there, right? So it's, it's kind of, it's not that big a deal. When you're in Revelation, right, what we see in Revelation chapter 21 is kind of this recap. There's this recap of, of who's going to be in heaven, who's not going to be in heaven, right? Those who are victorious will inherit life. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, you're like, I'm not that, I'm not that. I'm not sexually immoral. I don't practice magic arts. I don't worship statues. And the, the liars, <laughs> they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, that's concerning for me. That is concerning. I want to be like no, verse number seven, the victorious. I want to be like that. Well, how can I be victorious over lying? How can I do that? 
Well, this is what the scriptures say. The only way to gain victory over lying is through the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus says in chapter 8, we're there already. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You need to know the truth, that your heart is deceitful. Above all things, it's beyond cure. But nonetheless, Jesus is greater than your heart. He's greater than the wickedness in your heart, and the truth will set you free. Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. And he says later on in the same gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, the only way to overcome lying is to know the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ can give you a heart that's awakened to the Spirit, that's awakened to the Spirit of truth, that's awakened to the Word of God, that has the capacity to be a truth teller. That is how we become victorious, is through Jesus Christ. And even when we do fail, that is how we're victorious, because Christ was, he was punished for all of our lives. So as we consider the Sermon on the Mount, where I want you to be what you are. I want you to be a truth teller, because the, the world is full of lies, it's full of liars, and so we need to be different than the world. As salt and light, we must strive to be truth tellers and own up to our lies when we fail. We have to strive to be truth tellers. Now, I would imagine in this room we have a spectrum of people. Some people you may like, I never struggle with lying. I need to tell white lies. Yeah, I'm one of those abrasive people at a party. And somebody says, how do I look in this dress? And you say, it's not flattering. You might want to try something in green, not red, and maybe something that doesn't accentuate your hips. I mean, that kind of person. And then we have a person on the other like, you've never looked better in red. You look so good. Oh, you look awesome. Right? Yeah, I know that's kind of humorous, but there's a spectrum. All right? And um, wherever you fall in that spectrum, wherever you struggle with the issue of lying, you need to be real with God about it. I need to be real with God about it. We need to own up to it and strive to be truth tellers. And when we fail, we need to own up to it. Be honest about our failures. Sam Harris says this again. He says, honesty is a gift we can give to others. It is also a source of power and an engine of simplicity. Knowing that we will attempt to tell the truth, whatever the circumstances, leaves us with little to prepare for. Knowing that we've told the truth in the past leaves us with nothing to keep track of. We can simply be ourselves in every moment. Well, isn't that freeing? Telling the truth. And that's what we should be as salt and light. Right in Ephesians chapter 4, end of chapter 4, 5, Paul is talking about, hey, you're not in the darkness anymore. You're children of the light. Act like children of the light. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Well, who's your closest neighbor? Your wife, your family, your co-workers. <laughs> I have to tell this story. This is funny. So um, when we lived in Virginia, this is so silly. This is because I was trying to protect myself. We live in Virginia, and 
And one, we had, to, we had a, a bathroom under the stairs in our house, right? So there's this small bathroom, like a closet, you know. And I went in there one time, I was brushing my teeth, because, you know, with all the kids, bathroom's full upstairs, I'm down there, like, I'm brushing my teeth, whatever, you know. And I turned around, and I set my toothbrush down on the back of the toilet, and it fell into the toilet. <laughs> Not to get too graphic, but it fell into the toilet as I was flushing it. So this toothbrush shoots down the toilet, and it's jammed. It's firmly lodged up in the toilet. I cannot get this thing out to save my life. And so I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get it out. I'm going to do this. I'm like, i got to take the toilet off the floor. So I end up this toilet. I take it out into the front yard. I'm in the front yard with a toilet, shaking the toilet up and down, trying to get a toothbrush out of the toilet. And this is funny, right? So my neighbor walks across. He walks across the yard. Because <laughs> obviously this is a funny sight, right? He says, Jay, what are you doing? Ah, I'm trying to get something. What's in your toilet, Jay? Ah, one of my kids put a toothbrush down in the toilet. <laughs> I didn't speak truthfully to my neighbor. That's a small thing, right? And my <laughs> in God's mercy, my wife was standing there when I said that to my next door neighbor, and she's like smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but because she's a guy, the woman, she doesn't say anything. But the point is, speak truthfully to your neighbor in the small things and the large things. Because if you speak the truth in the small things, you'll speak the truth in the large things and vice versa. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. For once, you were in darkness, right? The world is full of lies and liars. Don't be like that. But now you are light of the world. Live as children of light. Be like salt and light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Truth is a big deal. As salt and light, we need to be responsible in our use of information. This is kind of a side thing, but as salt and light, do not share information on social media unless you have done your best to determine its truthfulness. Right. This is, I think this is important. If you're on social media a lot, and people know that you're on social media, and you receive things that kind of they kind of fit your profile as far as politics or religion or whatever, you know, they're kind of like, oh yeah, this, this is, I, I, this, I'm right on this. And you just kind of like share it right away and you don't read it all. That's damaging to you and it's damaging to the body of Christ because you may not be sharing truth. So we need to be different than the world with respect to that. And lastly, as salt and light, we must strive to keep our commitments. And this is something as a pastor uh, as, a, as a Christian, you know, I really try to remember Psalm 15. And as a pastor, I see the effects of this in people's lives. If, if you make a commitment to somebody or to the group, keep your commitment. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to the people that are counting on you. As salt and light, we must strive to keep our commitments because you want to be different than the world. The world is full of liars and lies. So, what? Tell the truth. Amen? Let's be different in the world, guys. Let's be salt and light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for uh, the truth of your word, the truth of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who let our yes be yes and our no be no. They would be a people that keep our commitments. Father, that we would shine as lights in the darkness because we are people of the truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please stand. Together and we will.